Welcome to another episode of Pod Like Hole Presents Season 3, Run the Gamut. In Season 3, we are talking about all of our favorite things, albums, artists. Uh, sometimes we even recommend things that are outside the realm of music. And in tonight's episode, today's episode, this morning's episode, whenever you happen to be listening to this, we are going to be talking about Primus's fourth record. No. Yes. No. Fourth. I'm going with it. Uh, Tales from the Punchbowl, released in 1995. It was my nomination and last episode, or episodes, because it was a hardcore history of Primus. And all of the things tangentially related to Les Claypool. Um, but we went through that history, and now we're going to be talking about an album that I've selected track by track. Uh, but before I do, uh, let me introduce your uh, conspirators here. I am Mark, and uh, it wouldn't be a pod like whole party if I didn't bring along the other two. And I'm not talking about Larry Mullins Jr. or Adam Clayton. I'm talking about Eric and Steve. Steve, what do you got for me? Phenomenal. Absolutely. And uh, later we'll actually be bringing in Jeremy Irons, and he's a big Primus head. Uh, and uh, he, he can tell us all about his time on The Watchmen. And uh, yeah. That wasn't even that wasn't even my best Jeremy Irons, but you, but Phenomenal. you knew. <laughs> that was more of the uh, would you like to apply for a job guy. <laughs> But but before we introduce, uh, well, we also have Eric, but uh, before we introduce Eric, um, this morning or this actually last couple days, it seems like Steven got uh, the week off and uh, he found an app on his phone and that app has provided an endless amount of entertainment. Um, and we'll have to probably put some of those uh, examples in <laughs> in the Instagram post or maybe the Facebook but uh, Stephen, what uh, which mad science read did you uh, come across? Well, a I only had uh, a four day weekend, two days off. I wish I had a whole week off. And B, it's just a it's just a face swap app. There's 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 hundreds of them. I think the uh, the kids use them all the time. And uh, I thought it'd be funny to uh, do some face swapping and take some of the uh, album covers and movie films that we're all fond of and put our faces on it real like thinking outside the box stuff i know i know no one's ever done this <laughs> and uh got a kick out of it so like i think this app is just called this this app is just called face e there's a billion versions of these things and they're all made in china so uh they're also probably mining your phone for cryptocurrency as you're doing this and yeah i think i, I think i turned i think i turned everything off but uh no it's Phone's already moving slower. <laughs> um, I have to admit, I look really a lot like Alan Rickman. Uh, I, I always thought the Corey Feldman thing was uh, very evident, but now I can put one other in in the uh, in the Brandstead Encyclopedia. But Eric, how are you doing, Frodo? Uh, thank you. Uh... Great, great. I'm, you know, it's where are we? A couple days after Halloween. I'm Halloween, by God. Thanksgiving. It might as well. And, yeah. I mean, Thanksgiving of 2020, uh, because right. that's how long it takes to edit these things. That's, that's very true. Very true. So I'll just be doing, I'm doing my steps over here, you know, just trying to, trying to, trying 
going to uh, burn those thirds of, of stuffing that I didn't need to have. So, you know, don't mind me. But I'm good. I'm well. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Everyone say their prayers around the table and say what they were thankful for. Uh, I don't think. Nope. Didn't do that this time. Didn't do that this time. Uh, yeah, it was fine. Fine. Good. Good. My uh, father-in-law makes... Always a conversationalist, Eric. Thanks for stopping by. My father-in-law makes uh, make, makes good old fashions, and, and I had a couple of those. And, 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 uh, I still haven't worn I off. Was a good, I was a good con- conversationalist then, I'll tell you that. Cracking jokes around the, around the table. You know, maybe I should uh, board myself a few of those before we started tonight. Full on danger field mode. And uh, yeah, no, Eric, when he gets a little. The only Thanksgiving things worth, worth bringing up on my end are uh, one, I actually was thankful for something. Uh, we went to Sonora and came back, which is where some in laws live. And uh, on the way back, I had to pull over because uh, uh, my son started feeling, said he was feeling car sick. And actually, on the way down there, he got car sick and threw up. I didn't want to repeat, repeat incident. And uh, it was a false alarm. But then uh, our one-year-old started stirring. He was sleeping. And so I was like, oh, shit, got to get going again. Get on the road. So, you know, the car keeps him quiet. And uh, then we hear a crash. And something fell off the roof. And even though there had been like a stretch of an, an hour of no one behind us, of course, now there was like 10 people behind us. So I pull over. And 10 people drive over, whatever that was, that fell off the roof. Go back. <laughs> I find it. Find it in the middle of the road. Uh, when I went to check in my son, I took his Nintendo Switch out of his hands and put it on top of the car. Oh, God. <laughs> and, and then when, I, when the other son started waking up, and I frantically jumped back, jumped back in, I left it on the top of the car. We've all done a version of this, but I don't think anyone's done it with something as expensive as Nintendo Switch. And I am thankful that somebody managed to drive over the corner of one of, you know, if you ever played those things, the, uh, the joysticks hook up to the sides of each side. Oh yeah. And somebody managed to drive over the corner of one of the joysticks and pop one button out and the rest of it was untouched. (laughs) And so the next day I went to on black Friday, I went and bought a one joystick for $35 and that was the extent of the damage. So that uh, is lucky folks. I mean, yeah. Especially considering the amount of uh babysitting that thing does for me with my five year old. Uh, I'm not ashamed to admit it would have been real bad if it, uh, if it got destroyed. Yeah. I mean, that might as well play the Powerball next with that kind of luck. I mean, <laughs> <for crying out loud. laughs> yeah. So that was, uh, that was something. And then, yeah, speaking of praying, like you were talking about this family, who I, I do adore, good people. They always do do a uh, standing around, holding hands, and pray before dinner. Not anything outside, nothing weird, but, I mean, I, I don't It's like Rosemary's baby. It's fine. You can see it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's standing around I, naked. Every year when we're doing like, that, like I'm just like sitting there, and I'm just like, ah, I think I'm just going to think about Ronnie James Dio. And I think I've done this for like four years in a row now. That's just my... My way of uh, participating. There you we go. All, we, all, we all have our higher powers. And what did you say that you were thankful for? Oh, they didn't make me uh, say what I was thankful for. We just that's uh, good. It wasn't thanks. any sort of like sharing session. No. <laughs> yeah, they pass. They pass a uh, inflatable turkey around, and when you get the turkey, it's your turn. 
<laughs> oh boy, it's uh, there. There have been there have been dinners on on my side of the family where that's happened. And there's a lot of people. Those mashed potatoes start getting cold. <laughs> I can just in. picture Eric just uh, sneaking food into his cheeks, <laughs> face cheeks. That's right. Um, and that, it was easy for Eric. I mean. <laughs> For a good stretch every year, it was just like, I'm thankful for the most recent No Limit album that came out. And, yeah, uh, that's right. Thank you for Master yeah. P, the, ge- the general Master P. Yes. <laughs> so uh, before we get into it, um, is there any uh, housekeeping, anything on the newswire coming through? I sure as shit haven't seen anything. Uh, yeah, that um, uh, they just, for as far as the Bowie Bulletin goes, they released... Uh, box set of all of his 90s stuff from black tie white noise through um i guess what would have what was the uh unreleased album toy um all remastered for the first time um at least since you know in the last 20 years or whatever but um so you know so you get finally a remastered uh outside you get a remastered earthling um so it sounds good um like those albums which we did uh, toy I did not listen to yet. I just based on what it's about, I just can't get myself excited to listen to it. It's just you know, just you know him and his his '90s band playing his old '60s songs again. It could be cool. Um, you know, from what I've yeah. read about it, it's it's kind of special, but it's nothing. It's not like relevatory. It's not supposed to. Be, but it was scrapped. For I mean, that's why I that's why I bought these highfalutin Beats headphones on Black Friday. So I can hear Uncle Arthur the way it was intended. Kind of like uh, when Dylan um, modernizes his old tracks, uh, but instead of uh, the classics, it's clearly stuff that should have been relegated to some basement bargain bin. <laughs> but uh, we will not speak ill of the dead. Um, I it, yeah I'm I'm right with you Eric. That's not something I'm clamoring to listen to. So that is on that box set that just yeah. came out. But I did All listen right. to the I did listen to like I did give outside a twirl and it sounds great. Those headphones when you hear uh, Arthur Tuchwick through those headphones, Steve, you're gonna be smiling ear to ear, grinning ear to ear. And if you sync it up to seven, uh, it'll you know blow your mind. <laughs> so if that's uh, nothing in the the, uh, the ticker. Then we can move on to our award-winning segment, Plug Like a Hole. Uh, so now we can say what we've been grateful for in the, uh, in the arts. So, Eric, start with you. What have you been consuming lately besides stuffing? So there is one that came out. I, I follow Artifact Records. I, they, uh, they do a lot of dark wave and and you know modern industrial stuff um but pretty much they've got a solid 75 percent hit record for me i like most of the stuff that they put out and the there's a new album by a, a new band called headless nameless is the band and the album's called ominous spiritus and the uh band is composed of um it's canadian producers um they went by the name encephalon and a singer allison keller and she's got this kind of, I guess, this kind of Susie Sue thing going with her vocals, kind of like vampy. And um, but the music is like uh, it's very much uh, like shoegazy with some like metal riffs. And um, and I really liked it. I was blown away. It's a full length album. 
and um, it's got some like really top-notch tracks. A couple that I automatically had to throw on my like best of 2021 playlist that I kind of keep a running thing going for. So this was one that I was only interested in because the artwork looked cool, and then when I heard it, I was, you know, pleasantly uh, satisfied with with that. So headless, nameless, ominous, spiritus. Check it out. Sounds great. Um, I will absolutely do so. Um, as long as I can remember, you know, the name of the band, I, uh, since they are nameless. Um, so, uh, Steven, what do you got? Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> How am I going to follow that joke up? I know. Seriously, I'm coming out with some zingers tonight, guys. Stay, stay close. Let's see here. A lot of, a lot of good music has come out recently. I'll boil it down to one of the bigger releases. Uh, to be expected, I don't think I've talked about it since it came out, as the uh, new, new Mastodon record came out about a month ago now. And in pod like a whole time, about a month ago is what, six months? Is that the, uh, <laughs> the exchange rate? <laughs> I think that's how the sun uh, revolves around this podcast, yeah. I mean, shit, their, their next album might be out by the time <laughs> uh, this is up. Uh, yeah, Hushed, Hushed and Grim, and uh, recorded and written primarily during the pandemic. Mastodon. Needs no introduction. They're one of my favorite bands. They're one of many people's favorite bands. I I was a Mastodon guy going way back. I got into them pretty early. And I was actually, it was after, you know, when you're really young, when you, when a band, you get into a band, you know, sometimes when they get bigger, you might call them a sellout or something like that. I mean, it's ridiculous looking back, but that's all something we do when we're really young. But uh, as you get older, Mastodon, I was really happy when they got bigger. I was like, these guys deserve this. They're great. These songs, everybody should enjoy these songs. Do that. My wife's a fan of Mastodon, and typically uh, the other band sharing bills with Mastodon, she would not be fans of, including Primus, who toured with Mastodon once. My wife can't stand Primus, I learned. I think I already knew it. I think I threw it in the memory hole, but uh, that's fine. She likes the majority of the stuff I like, so, or tolerates it at least. So, uh, you know, I can't. I mean, you guys, it's... Uh, Real quick, do the wives tolerate or enjoy Primus? Yes, Jen does enjoy Primus. She will. She's seen uh, a couple incarnations of Les Claypool play live. So, and she enjoys it. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. I mean, she was. She used to be a Dave Matthews fan. The whole Horde Festival tie there. It's all tied together. I think she was even went to that Family Values uh, show that you guys went to. Uh, yeah, Heather. Heather's good with them. Uh, I think she likes to. She remembers seeing them at like the early Lollapalooza's, you know, mostly she likes the hits. Like she'll talk about like Jerry was a race car driver. John, the fisherman as being awesome songs. She doesn't put it on on her own, but she does get entertained when I put on Primus of a certain era, i.e. the first couple albums. Not happening in this house, but it's OK. But Mastodon, though, we agree on that band and we agree on the new album. I like the new album quite a bit. My only problem with it, and I've talked to you guys about it, is I don't understand it because I think all their albums are produced pretty well, but there's something about the production on this album. It seems hyper compressed to me. And I think it's because it's a 85 minute long album. And I don't know if I got to go buy the vinyl version 
or what. But when I listen to it on YouTube, because I'd, I'd made comparisons, it sounds great to me. When I listen to it on any streaming service, which is typically how I listen to my music, it sounds muddled. It's driving me insane. It's actually why I bought these new headphones, and it still didn't sound like I wanted it to. The, the craftsmanship is still there. The songs are still there. The riffs are still good. It's, it's, it's good. It just doesn't sound... It's, I can't pull the instrumentation apart as much as I want to. So I'm going to keep searching, Mark. You know what might actually be causing that? Because uh, Hushed and Grim, that new Macedon record, it's actually mixed for Dolby Atmos. And sometimes on, uh, sometimes on albums that are mixed in that, it sounds like things are a little too thin uh, and don't sound as loud. So you may want to consider turning off on the settings if you are using Apple Music, which I think you are. I am. Turn off where it says always on on Dolby Atmos and Mm -hmm. uh, just either turn it off all completely and then just see if maybe that actually helps. Because I have to say the new Death Heaven, uh, same deal, mixed in Dolby Atmos. When I listen to that, I feel like I really have to crank it. Uh, in order to actually get any sort of like uh, power in there. So you may want to consider that. You know, I think the same thing about that's your tech tip. I think I had a similar problem with the new Gojira, which uh-huh. I listened to before, before it went to Atmos. Yep. And then when it went to Atmos, I don't think it sounds as good. So. Yep. And uh, I'll be honest, some records don't lend itself to that experience very well. So there you go. Ones that have less going on, maybe. Yeah. Less. Less beats per minute, less instruments. Singer songwriter shit with maybe guitar and piano. Adele. Adele is where I'm going to go for Atmos from, from now on. The song in particular that I'm like, this isn't the song is one of the greatest things I've ever heard. And I've heard it sound better. I need to get back there is the closing track, Gigantium. There's just a guitar solo on that thing. And the, in the end, there's this end coda where the lyrics are so heartfelt. I mean, it's, it's well publicized. This album was written in tribute to their old tour manager who was like their best friend. They wouldn't be where they are today without him. And every every song kind of has a uh, a sense of loss to it, and it didn't didn't help matters that fucking thing. Like I knew that before it came out, comes out. I'm listening to it all the time. Uh, my family, we made the decision to put our dog to sleep three weeks ago. I guess it was, and that dog it was like an extension of me since the day we got him. Uh, had him since 2009, and as the years go by, like. Like everywhere I'd go, I'd take him with me. He goes to work with me, he'd go to job sites. When I live in San Francisco, he'd go to the office with me. It's just ridiculous. And like, he seemed to like me more than everybody else. Uh, the rest of the world kind of irritated him, but he really loved me and I loved him. He was my best friend. That's what dogs should be. I had to put him to sleep. And this fucking album comes out at the same time. <laughs> and uh, I'm just listening to that last track on the album, just crying with him and then let him go and now I listen to that last track and I cry again and I just want to hear it the way it should be heard and uh, he was a good dog and that's the Twice in the podcast, I've talked about putting dogs down because that's what I've had to do in the last uh, ever since the pandemic started. I started the pandemic with two dogs and no cats. 
I've got no no dogs and one cat. The hell kind of trade off is that? I will say again, sorry for your loss, buddy. Uh, I know how important Murdoch was to you and the family. And, uh, you know, as a former dog owner myself, I, I know what you're feeling. But I was going to uh, make a pretty bad Mitt Romney joke when you were talking about the thing clattering off the roof of your car. <laughs> um, but cooler heads prevailed. So you guys can just use your imagination about what I was potentially going to say. I'm glad you remembered current events. <laughs> <laughs> what, it's not 2012 right now? <laughs> I meant my current events with my dog, but yes. Lost him the election. If only Mitt didn't have that one anecdote, would never have one to add Trump. Mark, what's your what's your plug? My plug is uh, is a Mitt Romney audiobook uh, that you listen to. <laughs> to uh, I'm not plugging that tonight. Um, so because this is recorded around Thanksgiving, uh, I've only watched part one of this three part documentary, but it has brought me back into kind of a more of a classic rock. Uh, mood more than ever. Uh, Peter Jackson's uh, Beatles documentary, Get Back, is definitely interesting. At first, it's not going to be for everybody. The way that it's marketed makes it look like a behind-the-scenes look at how they recorded uh, the record Let It Be. But it is a walk to Mordor. It is definitely shows you everything, the nuts and bolts of how the process was made all of the band uh, interrelationships. Um, if you're not a Beatles fan, this is going to not be for you. If you're mildly intrigued by what the Beatles are all about, maybe tune in, but you're just going to be in for probably six to seven hours of um, them kind of bickering with each other and just learning how to find and write songs. Uh, but it, I, I find it very captivating. And it seems like, uh, at first, it was kind of a slow build because I watched it when I, you know, had a few on board and I was like, oh, geez, man, I don't know if I want to really see like the recipe for the cookies. Just give me the cookies. Um, but after looking at it from a very clear frame of mind, uh, you know, I'm in. I, I, I think it's uh, it's probably one of the better rock documentaries ever made. And just the restoration. I mean, Peter Jackson and his team makes the footage look like modern footage like it looks like in high 4k ultra hdr resolution um they did a bang up job because that technology clearly didn't exist back then and for them to make it look like it was just shot last week is pretty remarkable so they, they did that uh, uh world war one doc also in that same say. technology yeah i haven't watched that one uh crazy uh i can't even remember the name of it those who didn't come back or something like that. Uh, but anyways, uh, this was apparently a four year uh, journey for Peter Jackson and his team to, to make this happen. And it's a Beatles documentary. It's on Disney plus called get back. Um, I'm quite enjoying it. I'm only midway through part two, but um, I like it I like it quite a bit. I started it. I uh, I'll finish it. I like what I saw so far. 
for some reason, my kids, five and one, like sat with me for about a half hour of it, just watched it with me this morning. And uh, something about the Beatles, I think, that appeals to small children. I don't know what it is. And I, obviously, this is just this is like watching them just you know scratch out songs. But even just their four personalities and hey, I'm you know Ringo's here. I mean, maybe maybe it's some uh, suppressed uh, Thomas the Tank Engine stuff going on. I don't know. <laughs> Show them the Yellow Submarine video. Uh, my kids were very very. Um, mesmerized by that one i showed my kids the sledgehammer video yesterday by peter gabriel and that was very unsettling for him for whatever reason (laughs) video is a stroke of genius (laughs) do uh do uh atlanta confusion next oh man that might like absolutely have me have to spend the night with them in the bed you know just to like cool any sort of bad dreams yeah why does his face look like he's melting um well with that said, I think it's time to go track by track into Primus's Tales from the Punch Bowl. But before we do, let's get a little background on that record. So Tales from the Punch Bowl. It was released June 6th, 1995. It was the first Primus record that was recorded at Les Claypool's home studio in Sebastopol. They named it Rancho Relaxo. And Rancho Relaxo came from that Simpsons episode where Troy McClure went to go to a spa called Rancho Relaxo. We all know the episode. I think that was the Patty and Selma where he marries Patty or one of them. Um, but that's that's that. It was Selma. It was Selma. Okay. I always remember uh, I always remember the 120 minutes uh, where Kennedy goes to visit. But Kennedy made her coolness. Rest in peace. Oh, yeah. Now she's on, like, Fox Business. But uh, she goes and visits uh, them there while they're recording this album and uh, goes fishing with them and goes and sees, like, Herb's drum room. And it's a cool episode. And, uh, you know, makes you think, like, hey, man, I could I could take a, I could I could weekend at Rancho Relaxo. It'd be fun. What do they got her doing? Like the filling filling host on Gutfield or something? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure she's a frequent uh, contributor. Oh God! Tale of two kitties, gut fell so, because they use the they use the Garfield uh, font. Sorry. Oh yeah, gut <laughs> with an exclamation, like we're excited about him. But this was the last record from Primus that had Tim Alexander before he rejoined them seven years later in 2013. Uh, it was certified gold, so that means it sold some records. It I wasn't the highest charting. That was Pork Soda for for Primus. They also came out with something called an enhanced CD on this. Uh, kind of was the first of their time. Um, an enhanced CD basically was a track by track. You put it in your computer and it would show you little animated videos for every one of the tracks on here. Um, the band themselves took a big, big um, chunk of the work on that, of animating and creating these kind of 3D graphics for it. We've seen some other enhanced CDs. That was their thing. They were true. I mean, they were DIY guys. They did. It to, they did it to save money. They did it to stretch their money further. I mean, with their style of music, you couldn't. Uh, I mean, that was smart of them to do because who know who knew how long the '90s gravy train was going to last. And uh, I mean, that was throughout their whole organization, though. And yeah, when they had to, they took the time to learn how to. I don't know program. I don't know if they did that, but they worked on these old two Macs, and they they helped put this thing together. And it's uh, must have been pretty wild at the time. It was a cutting edge technology in the 90s. 
Yeah, I think it was actually the they it wasn't ready when the album dropped, and so they re-released it like half a year later. You know, kind of uh, not did not quite have the splash they hoped, but I definitely had it. It took me a. I bought both copies. It took me a year to have a computer that would actually work. That would actually play. Our computer must have been old or something. Uh, all I remember is you get to try to put it in your typewriter. Yeah, you get to play Herb's drums, but you just like you hit a key, and like three seconds later, you hear a. <laughs> it is. It is like that's our version of telling our kids walking two two ways uphill to to school in the snow is like being like, hey, you see all these uh you know uh, magic devices you have in your pockets and that thing hooked to your TV and all this stuff and every room you go in you can watch a show anytime you want and pick the show blah 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 like in order for us to use this uh CD-ROM we had to wait for our parents to buy a computer that could use it and the computer would wheeze and cough just trying to boot it up <laughs> and, you could, and uh you'd be lucky if it ever worked and oh man the screens would always freeze and you know if you, you might be unlucky enough to crash the computer and then you're really in trouble with your parents. So be thankful, children. God damn. And playing a game on a computer usually was like four floppy disks, uh, sometimes before like the CD-ROM. And uh, I remember like getting X-Wing or TIE Fighter changed the floppy disk, you know, or even uh, Rebel Assault. It was also a two CD-ROM game. Um, but yeah, those days I don't miss. Uh, I remember when Steve would, uh, crash at my parents' house, I would wake up in the morning. He downloaded two, tr uh, two songs from the internet and it took him all night to do just two <laughs> songs. <laughs> and it took uh, Mark's dad two years to get rid of all those viruses. <laughs> oh Yeah. Some of the things that were scraped from the internet from a Steve wake up. I'm like, Jesus, that should my, my eyes should be burned out of my skull. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it was, it was a second home to me in many ways. Do you remember the, uh, do you remember the inner, the dial up when you would like, cause we used to use America online quite a bit and the dial up for, or for that would be, um, it would often be busy when you try to call in. So in my head, I was like, oh, well, I'll just call into another number and you pick like what server you're calling into. So I just started picking like Chico and like Davis and places around us. And I ranked up, racked up this long distance bill by just by doing that. That was absolutely outrageous. And uh, my, But my mom had heard that there were hackers that were doing that. And so she assumed it was a hacker and I never I never had to take the fall for it. So oh, I was going to say, I'm sure you're still mowing the lawn every <laughs> to pay that off. Yeah. Oh boy. But yeah, uh so the enhanced CD was really set up like a video game. Uh you would take around Captain Shiner's little boat and uh go to these little islands that had the track listings on and you'd see the lyrics sometimes as a little bit background story on each of these songs. As uh we talked about in our last episode, Les Claypool is big a uh, big story guy when it comes to his lyrics and um, this just gave him a different multimedia platform to really explore that a little bit more. But there was three singles off of this record, uh, Why Known as Big Brown Beaver, uh, Miss Blaylene, and Southbound Pachyderm. Probably one of their most well-known songs is Why Known as Big Brown Beaver, just because of the video did get some airplay, despite like it being always construed as a uh, sexual connotation. 
this was played like in the middle of the night. I would stay up uh, pretty much on Alternative Nation or 120 Minutes just to watch it in that summer. Um, Because I've just always felt, all right, I'll go to bed when I watch the Primus video. And sometimes I'd be up until two in the morning until it fucking played. Produced by Primus, released off Interscope. And Primus is also, Les Claypool had his own little label called Prawn Song, which is just a little subsidiary, a little vanity. It's not like he was really signing a whole lot of things besides his friends on that label. But uh, yeah, Um, reception-wise, critics thought it was okay. I mean, it's not considered Primus' best work uh, by any means. Most of mixed middling to good reviews. But as we talked about in our last episode, we didn't even rank it in our top three and why I picked it is um, this is my first introduction to Primus. Uh, This was the summer where I was really starting to get into music. I was hanging out at record stores. I was hanging out with an old buddy um, who was also my sister's ex uh, boyfriend. And, you know, he was really getting into Primus around that age, around that time as well. And this came out and I just got radicalized essentially. And, this was my very first concert that I ever went to. Uh, my parents drove me down, my sister and her boyfriend at the time, down to Berkeley's Greek Theater, and we saw it there. And it was uh, my introduction really into getting into music pretty hardcore. So this is why I essentially picked it. It's just because this album will always hold a special place in my heart uh, for me to actually get so deeply and obsessed into music where... I wanted to work at a record store. I wanted to explore other uh, bands and artists. I mean, as much as I love Les Claypool, um, you know, he's not my favorite artist of all time. And Primus is not my favorite band of all time. But they definitely are such a big part of my growing up and uh, kind of shaping my identity when it certainly comes to how I approach music. Um, I felt it was mostly appropriate to pick this particular record, even though it's not their best, but I certainly am uh, just a big fan of what this album seems to represent for me. And if we always pick the very best, it would be boring. So it's it's good to get something that uh, gets a little bit more com- conversation stimulating at times. And if you want to hear our overall opinions on the other Primus albums and where this one might fit in, Check out our last episode. Uh, it's a, it's a, but a, it's a testament to all of our love and appreciation of this band and the various tendrils that touch other bands. Uh, one of a kind and definitely worth worth discussion. I remember hearing the hit song on the radio. I heard all of Primus's hit songs on the radio up until this point, and this one, uh, yeah, it kind of caught my attention. It was a. Uh, it's it, it, when when those big brown beaver is going to catch anyone's attention. Um, didn't make me feel the urge to rush out and buy the record. Uh, I don't think I started buying their albums until the Brown album came out. And I was introduced to the whole album when I started hanging out with Mark. I think it was uh, somewhere in between him purchasing the original CD and the CD-ROM version is when I checked out his copy. That's my story, Eric. What's yours? For me, um, I... I was kind of primed for this album. I had been a fan since Pork Soda, um, which, but at some point I had moved over to Arizona and I've talked about this a lot, but it, it took me a long time to make friends. And I, I made one in, in Greg Walgast, friend of the show, does our beautiful artwork this season and last season. 
and uh greg and i had two things you know initially had two things it was it was nine inch nails and primus actually it was primus first he had a he had a shirt he had a frizzle fry shirt and that was kind of what what started our conversation and then the next day he wore a mystery science theater 3000 shirt so it was like kismet but um and those things go together nicely but um Anyways, you, so we were both really into Primus, and then I remember I uh, the summer it came out, I actually had a pretty severe hip surgery uh, as of a kind of had this arthritis situation in my hip my whole life basically, and I was in like a cast that was all summer. I was in a wheelchair that summer, and like my cast looked like a like a, a cast in the shape of boxer shorts with that with a shit hatch cut out of the back. It was a miserable fucking thing. <laughs> miserable thing i think the first week i spilled but it may come in useful later <laughs> i think the first week i spilled my bedpan back into back into the my fucking cast it was just fucking disgusting so when you when you had to sit down and use the toilet um i mean was it like a full leg cast that you couldn't bend your leg at the knee no we were in the shape of boxer shorts so they look it was a cast that looked like boxer shorts the hatch cut out of the back <laughs> Oh God! It was a twenty-minute ordeal. To... Did, like the hatch, did you have to like pull a lever? Like was it oh, yeah. like like <laughs> yeah. it had like yeah. a like a little box? And, and like a little stairs came down, like little like little little <laughs> stairs. <laughs> it was like open in the attic. Yeah. So you just would you put pants over him, or were you just going around with these shorts on <laughs> without any clothes? <laughs> Yeah, Steve, that's what I did. Yeah, no, Steve, I was I, I was rocking the basketball shorts, buddy. That was really, the really trying to visualize it. <laughs> oh god, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It was a quite a summer. I had to go uh, see uh, Man Forever in that in that get up. Uh, wheel wheel me into the the handicap row and and laugh at Jim Carrey's Riddler. Yeah, it was quite Buffoonery. a summer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> oh, I cracked Steve. Great. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, God. Oh, give me a second. <laughs> Oh boy. Oh. So. Uh, oh. Right. Wow. Oh man. Eric. Burn some calories. I mean, yeah. I've, I've always known about your hip surgery, but you never told me that detail. Yeah. It's uh. It's not super flattering, but uh. But I do remember laying in laying in in bed on my cast caster wire and. Uh, Greg Greg Walgas came on over and uh, and 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 brought me the CD. Uh, he and a couple other friends that we had at, at, at middle school had bought it, and they knew I was uh, recuperating. And we listened to it in my room, uh, all excited for it. So, anyways, that's uh, I always associate it with uh, a nice deed by uh, uh, a, a couple good friends in Arizona. And I was primed to like it. No, that's great. I mean. Uh... Hopefully it doesn't bring up too many bad memories of that shit hatch, but uh, that's uh, a term that uh, we got to get trending, apparently. 
Oh, man. Woo! Starting out of Tales from the Punch Bowl, we've got Professor Nutbutter's House of Treats. So that was Professor Nutbutter's House of Treats. It's uh, quite a lengthy title, um, but upon hearing this for the very first time, it absolutely caught my interest. Uh, it's uh, seven and seven minutes long, but it never drags. It has some incredible drumming. It has that weird, like, sounds like where it's a dial-up modem. But before I get into my thoughts, I'd like to hear what Eric has to say about the uh, opening track of Professor Nutbutter. Yeah, this is a wild song. It starts and you hear the sound of uh, parade as it approaches. And um, it's kind of like uh, the song itself is about like introducing you to this professor who makes candy and also sells like a worm that if you ingest it, it helps you live forever and it cures aging. And uh, but the, the worm may have side effects. And he never gets into it. He doesn't have to. It's just ominous enough. And, um, but, but the, the song comes in, you hear this parade and you hear this bass start chugging. Um, and then, uh, it just rips into this, this thing. And it's definitely a, like pretty, as far as this album goes, this album doesn't go into metal territory too often, but there's some metal riffs going on from, uh, from Lur. Um, you got Les who starts, he's doing definitely in carnival barker mode. He sounds like he's uh, almost actually more like megaphone crooning, uh, <laughs> counterfeit muddy machine uh, as he's singing about professor Nutbutter, like that would happen in a parade as it comes through town, introducing to this new person who's moving in with this house of treats. It kind of reminds me of like, if you've seen the old Disney horror, uh, uh, something wicked this way comes that whole kind of old trope of like this, this insidious kind of uh, thing comes into town with a big display. Um, it sounds great. People get really interested, but there's, there's a dark side to it. And that's, and that's kind of what it is. Um, and I just love the presentation of it. It's, it sets it up as just fitting that theme perfectly. Um, and actually, this song, this song rocks, probably goes into harder territory than a lot of the rest of the album, which I appreciate. And for seven minutes, you're right, Mark, it does not get boring. Uh, I feel like there's a Pink Floydy bass going on. Um, there's some backwards guitar swoops. There's some metal riffs. Um, there's something menacing and almost punkish about how Les does his vocals. It's a great energy to him. And I just love, I love a song that's a, like a Faustian deal to become younger. And, and it just kind of that whole tales from the, the dark side kind of premise to it too. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's fun. Um, it tells a story and it sticks to the theme, which, which Les can sometimes have a hard time doing. Um, and, uh, it's just a juggernaut of, uh, of kind of a snowballing rock. Uh, the, the, the instrumentals is just kind of like a snowballing rock uh, situation. So it's great. Yeah, you know, what's funny is that I never really uh, paid too close to the attention to lyrics 
on this album, actually, until we did this uh, assignment, if you will. And I always assumed that this song was about like a Willy Wonka type thing, just because the name Professor Nutbutter's House of Treats. And uh, no, it's more like you said, Eric, it's more of a something wicked this way comes or a needful things kind of scenario. And it seems that Professor Nutbutter is like giving children, making them eat worms to what? Trap them in amber or just, well, what's the story here? Somehow keeps them young, right? The story is, uh, according to the enhanced, enhanced CD, is that um, this professor generally has a lot of puppies, and that puppies is trying to keep them young. The worm apparently is trying to stunt the growth of these children, and uh, one of his kids. So, like, let me let me just read this from the enhanced CD. His name was Professor Thomas Dowden, but we all called him Professor Nutbutter on account that he owned a local sweet shop by the same name. As kids, we all spent a great deal of time hanging about the shop, consuming it as many savory treats as we could afford. Um, uh, skipping through a little bit, I went to grade school with his son, Elvin. Elvin Dowden was a smart kid. We called him Half Pint on account he was the smallest kid in the fifth grade. And skipping a little bit more, when questioned, Professor Dowden replied, I don't like dogs, but everyone likes puppies. Um, so when rumors of human experimentation began to circulate, the professor mysteriously disappeared and all research in that area was halted. It wasn't until many years that I returned to Meekleyville, where all this supposedly takes place, became a tourist stop on account of it being uh, an old logging town at the turn of the century. Uh, so apparently in those nut butter and jam sandwiches and the little soda pops uh it was had this little worm that was trying to stunt the growth of the kids to keep them looking precious and cute uh so some people have extrapolated that to be you know just a drug dealer but apparently this is the little background story something more sinister you're close yeah more sinister reminds me of the rumors i heard about the Sports card shop by our high school. <laughs> uh, I don't want to really get into a, a card shop gate uh, situation here. <laughs> Was there a basement? No. Okay. Well, um, but uh, anyhow, yeah, that's uh, it, it, it had another layer to the lyrics I didn't even know about. Uh, definitely a great way to start the the album. Really heavy, really driving. Like like Eric said, this is one of their heavier songs. Definitely, without a doubt. Like maybe one of their heaviest, like top five of their their heavy songs. Um, really, really gets the album off to a a hard start, and kind of it really isn't a harbinger for where most of this album's going to go. Um, there's a couple of I don't know through lines in this song that you might find elsewhere in the album, but for the most part, it kind of stands alone with how heavy it is, and um, it has that weird like last two minutes are kind of a crazy jam. Which is which is kind of strange. You'd expect a song like this, seven minute long song with the last two minutes, maybe more, being a bunch of noodling with like spoken word stuff over it. You'd probably expect this to be slotted towards the end of the record. Interesting choice to open it up, but that's that we're dealing with Primus here, so that's what that's what you get. Uh, has some of Herb's best work. Um, you know, it, it, like the the song has a constant momentum to it, but he still manages to do some of his little drum fills and flourishes in between the uh, driving beat. And uh, the last two minutes again, where it's kind of a, a freak out, he really gets going. It's a good, good way to open the record. Yeah. Um, it, 
always stuck out to me as an all timer. The way the song starts out um, sounding like a rumbling diesel engine uh, from Les's bass with the back and forth from all three just warming up. And then you've got like Herb just doing some crazy drum fills. From first hearing the song um, and not really understanding what Primus was all about, I just really fell out of my chair and how strong it was. Uh, Lair has some real strong moments on this song, uh, from weaving into a little like honky tonk to surf to blues to some Eno like guitar scronks to some wildcat growls. Uh, it's just he he's just putting on a clinic here, and um, that is just going to be forever in my head. Just the way that bass riff sounds like a dial-up modem. Um, the song is as heavy as a steam train, uh, being unloaded off a big old cargo freighter. It's just heavy in such a primacy way. Um, and everything just flows like, uh, the chemistry between the three of them I feel is really on display on this track. All right. So let's go to track two, Mrs. Blaylene. Mrs. So that was Mrs. Blaylene. Um, I would like to hear what Steven has to say about that crazy teacher. Yeah, I think this track is a very good. This is a good example of Les's storytelling skills. In my opinion, um, he, he, he definitely creates some characters that sound like they're either from his childhood or out of a Wayside Stories a kids book for uh, children um, of this cartoonish teacher, Mrs. Whaling, who he seems to have he had to have knowingly done this. These lyrics could be right out of the, of the wall. Um, it definitely has a uh, hey, teacher, leave those kids alone. Uh, you know, uh, racking the kids as the knuckles with a ruler vibe to it. And that's not the first time I'll mention Pink Floyd tonight. Yeah, sixth grade teacher from hell. And the story about her is set to this. Uh, it's, kind, it's kind of a, a less in a one of his less frantic modes, I think, even though the lyrics are kind of unsettling. And I, I always get a kick out of the part where they say, I think I hurt Steve because uh, my name is Steve. <laughs> but uh no, I think it's some of his best not not his all timer lyrics, but I think they're pretty good lyrics on the on this record. It's a pretty catchy tune for even though how dark it is. And uh, my sixth grade teacher was a terrible human being as well, so I can really relate to this song. But it's a uh, it's pretty good, pretty good uh I don't know, second tier primus song. Yeah, perfect little little uh track two. And we always talk about it on here that it's always nice when you keep the momentum up but maybe dial down the intensity a little bit for a good track too. And that formula works on this one. Um, I like this one a lot. I actually think, I think I bought the CD single before the album came out. It had this track and three live tracks from um, 
uh, one of the Lapaloozas. So, anyways, I, I I already like this one. No, no, no. Do you do that on purpose? Not Lollapalooza, the Lapa. What, what do you call them? Lollapalooza, Lollapalooza. No, I and I always as soon as I'm saying it, I second guess myself and say it wrong every time. No, you're really. Right. I and thought you were just doing your own spin on it. Lollapalooza. 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 Yeah. Lapalooza. <laughs> fucking fake word. It's fucking fake Sounds like word a uh, Native American tribe. I know. Yeah, that's why I'm trying to pay. I'm trying to pay. Out there tribute. upon the Lapalooza Mountains. <laughs> yeah, fucking nonsense, anyways. But anyways, uh, this song is, uh, you know, yeah, it's the story is good. I mean that that whole just chorus, uh, that hook about who Mrs. Blaylene is, the bass line trudges along and almost sounds like 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 uh you know you if this was a movie you could hear her stomping down the halls to that baseline the movie matilda or something um and uh there's a great guitar solo in this um i think that the i think i heard steve part is interesting because the second verse i don't see the connection to mrs blayling there's other kids in his class that like a couple of ruffians that took it too far there'd probably be an easy uh, maybe way. her negativity her negativity infected them Right. That no and that made a bad environment. That's kind of what I was thinking. Um so in that respect, uh, you know, if, if that's what he was going for, then yeah, then that's 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 solid thematic connective tissue. Um but I know I like this song. This song always gets stuck in my head. Um it's a good melody. And uh this in the first track, I mean this song starts with one, two two of the highest mar as as far as I rated them, highest rated tracks on, on this album. Well, that's interesting. I mean, um, this song was never like one of my favorites. I think I agree with Steven a little bit more with it being kind of a mid-tier premise track. Um, I don't, I, I, I never mind this one at all. I think that it's a good bridge between Nut Butter and uh, Winona's Big Brown Beaver. Um, Larry is just kind of providing a rhythm guitar section riff, um, but has an opportunity to actually branch out a little bit during the Oh, What a Lonely Boy section. Um, and towards the end of the song, it really gives it some color. I think he's really mostly doing a lot of the painting on this one as Primus is very like bass driven. I think that, uh, less just is really locked into the rhythm of it rather than trying to be the lead bassist that he tends to do. It just kind of plods along without really having much dynamics. Lyrically. I think this is a very strong song. I think I, I like the whole idea of, the mean teachers picking on kids, creating an in situation where that kid who got picked on in class is now uh, bullying someone else below him. So just, you know, that cycle, that effect, that trickle down effect, that voodoo economics um, of mean teachers picking on kids and the kid gets picked on or kids then pick on the, uh, the lower kid and then he accidentally gets murdered. <laughs> That's uh, some Nick Cave work right there. So, um, Miss Blaylene, not a bad track by any means. It's just, uh, not one of my all time favorites. It's a good song though. I, I saw them perform this one on Conan O'Brien when they were doing their little, um, promotional things. So there you go. Yeah. I think Lair, Lair does a lot of the heavy lifting on this record. This yeah. Another song. And it's interesting because I remember reading about uh, in some of the interviews with Lair um, and the whole band that Lair just was always finding a difficult time of where to fit his guitar parts in because everything around Primus is very rhythm based. You've got Herb with his giant Neil Pert size uh, drum kit 
And then you've got Les, who's doing, you know, a bunch of spronky stuff with his bass guitar. And where does Lair fit himself into? I mean, Lair's quite talented. He's able to figure out exactly what every song could really benefit from. Um, and I, I think he's certainly an unsung hero when it comes to Primus. I think a lot of people obviously fall out of their chairs when it comes to Les's bass playing. And of course, when Herb was in the band, just how technical that he is with his drumming style. But, you know, Lair really just does deserve a lot of credit for making songs actually be really, really fleshed out. Um, that's my assumption. I mean, everything that I've read about Primus is always like, he always seems to be the third person mentioned um, when it comes to his contributions. Um, but yet he's been the only one that's been consistent in the band besides less since their inception. Yep, absolutely. Or since 89. So. Yeah. But he'll, he'll, I'll, I'll bring up, I'll sing his praises a few times tonight. He, uh, he puts in a lot of good work on this record. Uh, so let's go to track three, which is probably one of their biggest singles of all time, uh, to the point where Les had to stop playing it uh, for quite some time live because just you didn't want to be pigeonholed as the joke band. But that is Winona's Big Brown Beaver. big brown beaver um she held it up in the air um it's uh it's a real hoedown so let's hear what eric has to th- uh, say about that this song this song i'm uh, uh conflicted a little conflicted i uh when it first came out I, I i i laughed quite a bit i also stayed up late to watch it recorded it so i could watch it on either, uh, on my vhs tub anytime i wanted thought the video was hilarious. They're all dressed up like they're Duracell plastic cowboys. They got the same, really the same visual artist that did the Duracell commercial to make them up. Uh, and then there's the little silly CGI cartoon that they, I think they used a lot of this, the same kind of art stuff in the hand CD. So yeah, I mean, and I, the video cracked me up. Listen, I was a 13 year old boy. You got this song. It's It's got full of innuendo about uh you know ladies private parts it's hilarious it's absolutely hilarious it actually is funny i mean the the lyrics are are quite funny um the story i mean les always claims it's just a story about a woman and her pet beaver uh which yeah it is uh but i mean come on he knows what he's doing with those lyrics and uh you know it's it's funny, but I, I kind of with this song more than almost any other Primus, at least single, the novelty of it wore out for even back then when I was 13. And it was probably the one of the initially it was one of the ones I listened to least off this album. It just kind of it once you kind of know the joke, um, I in the it, you know, it just kind of stopped doing it for me. The music's fine. It's a little country twang to it, which isn't necessarily my favorite genre. It's 
less singing in his hillbilly less voice, which is not my favorite less voice. And he's got a few voices. Um, so I, this one wore out as welcome to me initially. Um, when I, uh, upon listening to it again, uh, I initially like, like, it was like, Oh yeah, this is a great riff. Like, it's just this like jam, this, this old hoedown riff. And it's, it's, it's very fun, very catchy. Uh, the yodeling is even catchy. Uh, the lures got himself like three or four guitar solos in the song, little ones, but they're fun. Um, but then after <laughs> reminding myself that it's a fun song, it's just kind of like it's a simple song. The production isn't great. Um, it kind of this is the first one that kind of reminds me of a production issue that kind of happens across this is the low end, if, even for being like a heavy rhythm band, it's is it, kind of tinny. Um, it doesn't have uh, it doesn't it doesn't have a, a, a deep end for being such a bass heavy band. And so even though the, the production is probably technically more, um, you can hear the, all the instruments better on this than probably their earlier songs. It also doesn't, it, 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 they're sacrificing some dynamics because the, 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 in my opinion, the low end is a little plasticky on this. Um, and this is the first song where that stands out to me. So, um, you know, in the end, it's a fun song. It's a great novelty track. It's a great little comedy rock song. Um, but for a few reasons, it just doesn't doesn't stay on the top of my stack as far as this album goes. Yeah, no, the song's it's great. I mean, it's Winona's Big Brown Beaver. Yes, it's played out. We've heard it a billion times. Um, I don't even think. I mean, I, I remember enjoying it when I was a teenager, but it's not what got me into Primus. It didn't even drive me to pick up this album. Um, I was more of the fans. I songs I heard before it, but <clears throat> I did I did like the song. Um, I mean, I think, yes, it's, a the vibe they were going for is definitely kind of a, a Jerry Reed or a Warren Zevon style seventies goofball comedy song. I mean, it's totally what they're going for there. And right down to the point, the part, the point where the last line is like the punchline. Uh, she picked her finger on it one day and decided she might have a porcupine. That makes me laugh audibly often. It's uh ridiculous, Rid- ridiculous punchline to this to this song and if the song wasn't about a uh female body part i mean it could almost be like a kid's song it's so goofball um it's kind of like a Ren and stimpy type thing i, I don't know uh it, 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 the audacity of it does make me laugh um and it's just i think it's just a good song if you were to take away the subject matter it'd still be a very entertaining song i mean the way he delivers some of the lines like along came lou with the old bamboon that delivery gets me every time. Uh, just rolls off the tongue. It's good wordplay. I mean, he does name he does name drop the seven layer burrito at Taco Bell. Yeah, I mean, but take take away all the lyrical goofballness. I think it's a finely crafted song. Uh, Lair gets a couple of times where he gets to actually uh, show off. I mean, he gets like a, a wailing epic solo around the one fifty five mark, where it's just kind of letting it ring off into the to the some kind of canyon distance somewhere. And uh, then at the end, he gets like that, uh, almost like a banjo picking solo or something. It's 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 great stuff. Uh, Herb's rolling drum drum rhythm is out of sight. Um, I think this is probably Herb's best album overall. Uh, I think he really kicks ass on the other records, but this one, he really gets to show off what he can do. And most of the time, it doesn't take away from the songs. Um, 
and and what the the baseline is one of my favorite less baselines actually it's it, it's relatively reserved by his standards but it's still really catchy and uh the the one part in it that always gets me that i love for years now is that little uptick he does it like the minute 23 mark before it goes into the second verse um the doom 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 that's just i i love it uh i think each member gets a chance to shine shine in this song and i mean it was the 90s eric this was the you know i touch myself detachable penis these were the kind of songs we were getting on the radio you can't blame them for uh, going down this path oh and that's not even the issue i have with it it's just uh it's just a little at some point it's one of those that goes from fun and silly to annoying back to fun and silly back to annoying and just kind of when i was ranking this album it had fallen back into the annoying category but i'm sure it'll go back to the fun and silly for me eventually well at least at least he gave you that lyrical consistency you're always trying to get him to give you hey gotta love it when he sticks the theme i mean for me this is an all-timer uh it's uh it's a real just immensely fun i know that the lyrics are sophomoric but just the way that he delivers it is always just brings a smile to my face (laughs) i mean the duracell cowboy video is um for me just on par with just genius uh you've got Less doing his animation in terms of like along came Lou with the old bamboon and it's and just like the the beaver getting angry when it gets woken up. Just that image of just trying to bite him is uh, just hilarious. Um, some excellent yodeling from uh, from Les as well. Um, I remember seeing this video. And then, of course, they perform this live on Letterman and Letterman is introducing them with gusto and they're dressed up as penguins, uh, which then their roadies, when they went on tour with this, uh, would also dress up as penguins. And like less uh, Lair's honky tonk guitar solo is just more proof of how versatile he can be. I mean, for someone starting out in like a metal band and just being able to dash off one of those little like honky tonk guitar solos is uh, quite amazing. And, you know, this is certainly one of the songs where Les can get wound up to do his little Daffy Duck walk across the stage. And he does that in that Letterman uh, performance. It's just this this song is joyful, even though um, it is sophomoric, uh, but it also just (laughs) I mean, you're right. Everything about this, uh, like Les is playing, they're all just really coming together. And it's unfortunate that they became known as like a joke band. You would think them like Ween or something like that would do something like this. But and I'm sure there were contemporaries, there were friends. Um, and those sequences, that video was shot up in Rancho Relaxo at uh, Les Claypool's house. And he also directed the video. And they slowed down the video to make their movements seem even more like a toy, um, which is kind of interesting. I've seen some behind the scenes footage. I think it's uh, available on that animals should not act like people uh, DVD collection. And they're slowed down. So everything is like, and they had to like play really slow and then they sped it up. Um, I think that's a pretty cool effect. And on that bass drum on uh, Herb's bass drum is uh, Buck Naked and the Bare Bottom Boys. And it intrigued me and my friends at that point uh, so much that we realized that Buck Naked and the Bare Bottom Boys was actually a band 
also from the Bay Area, a guy by the name of Philip Burry, who was a singer of the band, also known as Buck Naked. You could probably Google it. Um, the band is a threesome, uh, <laughs> pun intended there, because a lot of their band uh, songs are just about sex. Um, but uh, Burry, who was a close friend of Primus, he was actually killed in 1992 by some crazy cab driver. Uh, Buck Naked or Tim or Phil Burry was just out walking his dog, and that cab driver was just tired of seeing dogs in the park um, and owners not cleaning up the uh, the poop, and so he like fucking snapped and he shot and killed Buck Naked, and um, I think that was done as that was done as a tribute, and they even thank and dedicate i think pork soda to buck naked and the bare bottom boys but yes it's got some double entendres to the point where everyone thought that this song was about winona Ryder. and dave perner who was dating winona Ryder at that time dave perner is the lead singer of soul asylum uh he would introduce a song uh called les claypool is a fucking asshole uh live even though Les said it's not about Winona Ryder. And he even said that it was, I came across this big brown beaver up in Lassen County when I was out fishing and it scared the shit out of me. And I wanted to write a song about this big brown beaver um, that I thought would be a funny pet idea. But of course, I mean, if you just look at the lyrics, it sounds like somebody. But Winona is spelled with a Winona writer is W I. Winona Judd is is a. It could and he Les would say like I can't believe like she's not the one getting offended, but apparently Winona Judd actually was rather tickled by the song. So yeah, I mean, Pussifer, a uh, friend of uh, uh, Les and Herb, you know, had a song called Country Boner that was even a little bit more. I fuck the Judds, you know, like that's uh, that's right on the money in terms of fuck Kenny Rogers, fuck blah, blah, blah. Um, but for me, that's uh, still like they live in the same neighborhood as one known as Big Brown Beaver. So that's one known as Big Brown Beaver. Um, and I sure do wish I had a pair. Um, all right. So let's go into track four. Southbound Pachyderm. was southbound pachyderm and looks uh, to be an elephant who's heading south 
But uh, before we follow the trail, I think we should hear what Stephen has to say about Southbound Pachyderm. Take to the skies. Yeah, this is the uh, this song also gives me big time Pink Floyd vibes. It's not a direct homage or a lift from a Pink Floyd album, but this bass line always sounded very Roger Water- Watersonian to me. I mean, what do you think, Mark? Absolutely. Set the controls for the heart of the sun. Um, this is definitely in that same neighborhood. Or one of these days. Weren't you able to play this this, uh, this bass line? Didn't you do that when we were teenagers? Oh, yeah. Uh, this was one of the first bass lines that I ever learned how to play. Well, there you go. Yeah, no, I have a, a, I've always liked this song. Uh, probably part of it's because, uh, you know, Mark showed me how it's done on his old Kiss Destroyer bass when he was a teenager. Um, ironically, I became the Kiss fan, and he probably couldn't name more than five songs. I'm not going to test him right now. But uh, yeah, this is, this is a great song. I was made for loving you. It's the best song in their catalog. That's a great song. And uh, we, this family in this house, we love that song. All four of us. In this house? In, the, in, the, in this house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's on but, a stencil. Uh, yeah, no, it's a great track. I mean, uh, you've got that bass line. You've got that uh, Herb drum roll that, uh, you know, the one. And I actually, I very specifically remember, I have vivid memories of talking. It touches them all on that one. Uh, yeah. Of, of talking about that when Mark and I were teenagers talking about this album probably we're talking about how brain replaced herb and uh being like yeah but could brain do this and pointing to that part right there that you know great and you know i it kicks off with the it shows what herb can do even though he's already shown us that plenty of plenty of times what's good about it though is that he does that that really neil pertian drum roll and then he kicks into the swing beat that follows it informs the backbeat of the song throughout it. And I love that very simplified like swing beat John Bonham esque that you get for the rest of the song is uh, great. Um, the rest of the rest of the track. I think, I think I like it less his delivery quite a bit. I like the lyrics. I'm a fan of elephants. I don't, I don't know why my mom liked elephants. Who knows? Um, but just uh, his, his kind of whimsical delivery of the lyrics. I I've always enjoyed. And I, I think that this song and uh, a song later in the album, very close to the end, let's just call it over the left grapevine. They very much for me are from the same like area of Primus's brain and also of the same level of quality. Um, I think this is a just fantastic track, one of their best. And the video is uh, some claymation madness that should go into the Smithsonian. Yeah, tragically underplayed on MTV. I don't think I ever saw it once. I think uh, maybe I saw it on Much Music, maybe. Um, but for the most part... I actually had to... I actually was the one... Remember that? Remember the jukebox or the box? That one cable channel where you would have to... You would pay and call in and they would play a video? You selected this one? Uh, no, no. Do you remember that one? This is the one I, I've ever paid for on that because... I never saw it on MTV, but they would show in the little previews on the box, this little clip. And I was like, fuck, how am I ever going to see that? Little did I know about YouTube that would come out about 15 years later, but it, or 10 years later. But I, uh, I definitely called in and, and, and dropped, you know, birthday money. Good, 
two dollars of birthday money or something on that 800 hotline and they played it no there's something else that uh he does in this song that i wanted to mention is that uh it also has this uh the baseline preceding the verse structure i always like it when bands are able to seamlessly uh play the melodies of the the verses uh before they start and this one, uh, Les pulls it off quite well before he actually starts singing. Uh, the bass starts singing, then he starts singing. It's good. Oh, yeah. This has always been probably my favorite on this album. Um, I just, is it's just, and, and you know, and for not being a guy that immediately made the Pink Floyd connections, maybe that's telling me I need to explore some more Floyd. But um, it's it's got atmosphere. Um, it is lyrically political for primus which it doesn't mean it's that political but he's got something to say and you know he's talking you know about uh poachers and numbers of these of you know yes he's talking about pachyderms but it could be any kind of protected species of animals the numbers are dropping you know lyrics like watch the majesty blow by speculating which will be the last savoring my piece of the pie just greed versus uh existence really um Love the bass line. Also learned it, would play it in jazz band as we were in between songs. Um, and uh, it's just swooping and, and, and epic. And, um, you know, there's uh, some great solos. Uh, oh, yeah, the fills at some point. Uh, I made note of this, that Herb would be playing that swing beat you're talking about, but he would increase the fills. Usually fills are like, you do those in the last, like, say, so if, say if a beat's, uh, four beats per measure you do it during the fourth the four even like half of the fourth beat but he increases his fills to being half the measure so he'll like play the normal beat for two out two beats and then fill for the rest of the measure and then go back to the normal beat so um he's just going just absolutely ham on those fills which is fun to listen to um like i was saying there are problems in my opinion with the production on this record and they talk about it in the in that book too but one thing they that I know they were going for and they do do right is the way they mic Herb's drums. You can hear every single pad on that drum set. And when he does these fills, it's, it's absolutely an adventure to listen to. So, um, other than, you know, that the song is just deep and, and, and for Primus, they've got something to say and it's uh beautiful, great, good atmosphere and just epic. It's a great track. It is a great track. And I think I agree with you when you talk about the production, um, like some of the uh, drum parts sound really far away um, and can just in converse with like uh, sailing the seas of cheese and pork soda who have really just warm presence on pretty much all the instrumentation. Yeah, I would agree with that. The production work on this one, just because it is a home studio, I think they were still working out the kinks on like getting that perfect sound. Because I believe the Brown album was also recorded at Rancho Relaxo and vastly wildly different um, sort of production techniques used on both of those records. I think I think the, the production on the Brown album might lend itself better because they've got at least one album. Yeah. To a home studio feel. Well, they've got one album under their belt, but also there's a lot less going on in the Brown album than what they're trying to cram into the songs here. But um, yeah, I do agree with Eric. The production's uh, one of the detractors from this album. Yeah, but this particular song, though, agree with Steve. This song is definitely one part like a Pink Floyd's One of These Days, Set the Control for the Heart of the Sun, kind of just 
atmospheric, very bass driven, very Roger Waters e, but it also is one part Primus. I mean, it's talking about all offense. Um, on one hand, I absolutely agree with Eric that it is about their numbers are going southbound, the the poaching. But you know, if you look at the video, um, flying elephants very similar to flying pigs. Um, of what animals uh, was all about with Pink Floyd. We all know that Les and Primus are big Pink Floyd fans, but that drums in that intro are just phenomenal. I mean, that sound is just where Herb touches them all, um, gives me goosebumps on the fifth, 500th listen. You know, it'll always get me. It, this song has so much atmosphere. I can see like searchlights through the fog uh, kind of effect to it. Um, I remember when they played this one live when I saw them in uh, Berkeley and it was, uh, it was awesome. I mean, like seeing Primus live, they've got great visuals, great lighting effects. I mean, it's not to say that they're like a Pink Floyd with a laser show, but they do know how to put on a live show and give you some visuals along with uh, what they're uh, performing. So one of my all time favorites, I love Southbound Pachyderm. Um, it's just a very, very, probably one of my favorite Primus songs of all time. So there is that. And let's go into probably all three of our least favorite Primus songs of all time, Space Farm. So that was Space Farm, and uh, I'm sure that Eric has a lot to say about Space Farm. Oh, yeah. No, it's... I mean, listen, they were taking a moment where you could take alternative music and electronic music, and you could create something new. I mean, nothing was happening in 1995 (laughs) that was anywhere near that idea, right? Yeah, nothing. Nothing at all. Yeah, this is... uh... No, Space... No, no, space, space, yeah, space farm has uh, some sort of uh, kind of a, it's kind of a jamboree thing, but really you just hear these synths kind of going. And then what's, when you, when you listen with a good, good headphones and you, I could just see, I could just see Les Claypool just grinning, just vibrating with excitement as he sampled hog sounds like pig sounds and cow sounds into his synthesizer, like Ferris Bueller. Uh, and just playing them at different notes and you can just hear the pitch of the hog go down and up and he's having so much fun with it uh that being said it's just i mean it's 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 goofy and um it's got an unremarkable <laughs> unmarkable it is unmarkable uh, <laughs> you bet but i don't really have much else to say about it it's an interlude track you can't be too hard on their interlude tracks it's a skit without any sort of dialogue go for it steve yeah it's 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 a filler part and then it's the unfortunate uh harbinger for the middle section of this album where the quality dips in my opinion um yeah it's just a bunch of farm noises and uh zapping sounds it's um I don't know. A bunch of uh, spoken word stuff that you can't really understand. Probably the farmers talking to each other about their space pigs. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of pointless. And I know they've done filler tracks and other albums, but they kind of push it on this record, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, this song is just padding out that CD runtime. 
I mean, the overall sound of it is just dinking around on the bass and going through a library of farm sound effects and space lasers. Uh, it's thankfully somewhat short, but it's absolutely totally unnecessary. I mean, when you think about it from an enhanced CD standpoint, it was probably just meant to be the loading music. Um, but that's all that you can really get. I remember even like clicking on it in the enhanced CD and it was just like playing with one of those screen savers that had like the flying toaster that would go across your screen. That's good. That's good art is when you make art to be loading music. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, by the way, I uh, I did remember that I had also uh, downloaded off the official website a a screensaver much like that of the flying toaster, but it was uh, Torgo from Mystery Science Theater three thousand lurching his way across across the screen. Those were the days, the salad days of computing. Uh, so that was Space Farm. So let's talk about the year of the parrot. What do you think is the year of the parrot? Are we living in Anno Domini or before Christ? This is uh, is definitely uh, like many things before Christ. Maybe there was an original version of this song and the message was lost by the time it made its way through many translations. Uh, perhaps at one point this was a good track. It'd be worth my time. Uh, despite the fact that I definitely can see it being influenced by specifically uh, discipline era King Crimson, which is a good era of King Crimson. And obviously Primus are King Crimson fans. They've covered them live or less has in other projects. Um, I mean, I can even see on this track, uh, I think Laird does some good work and even has like a, uh, like a Robert Fripp esque guitar solo with the 2.42 mark. But it's just, it's just like lower tier Primus for me. It's just kind of meandering. I know the the, the lyrics are all about uh, apparently less wanted to write a song about the uh, people just copying Led Zeppelin or something in the early nineties. Um, it's just it's it's a watch checker. It's, I'm not a big fan of the Year of the Parrot. I struggle to get through this song in its entirety. Eric, do you agree or disagree? Are you gonna parrot what Steve said? Uh, I'm going to parrot. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's name dropping people on this song. I've seen the likes of Kate Bush and Van Morrison teaching the parrots to sing, take a Zeppelin riff and alter it a bit and make lots of money. It's called plagiarism. Uh, you want some of that cheese? Take a big old bite. Careful not to choke on it, please. Um, this is definitely less doing a Shel Silverstein poem, which I, that's fun. Yeah. But... <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's 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 so it's it's 
it's so bitter. It's a very bitter song uh, in the sense that like, I, it's never it's never a good look when like rockers have a song about the new wave of rockers are all copycats. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there were plenty. I mean, we were just talking about in the last track about how Southbound Pachyderm reminded us of Primus, and here we are. Or Pink Floyd, yeah, yeah. Or Pink Floyd, yeah, Pink Floyd. Yeah, this guy's always actually proudly, yeah, proudly was an influence, and as people should. He's shitting on other bands, exactly. Yeah, it's just not a good look, especially from a band that wears his influence on his sleeves, yeah. And there's a difference between wearing your your influences on your sleeves and outright plagiarism. But uh, yeah, I, I don't really get the point here. Especially since if I was Primus and maybe this is how Herb and uh, Lair felt, I'd be like, hey, man, whatever the other bands want to do to get popular. Fine. We totally did our own thing and we got way more popular than we should have doing our own thing. I mean, all things considered, Primus is pretty lucky to have become a household name. So it should just be don't worry what everybody else is doing. <laughs> it's just a weird it's just a weird, weird but I don't know. Um, on the positive, uh, there is a really cool opening drum beat by Herb. Um, that's kind of fun. Um, I think the production does get like what we were talking about before, where it's a little thin. The production does feel really thin on this song. Um, I, I mean, Les is singing his singing style. I do like the um, the kind of like uh, sustained kind of high like. Uh, I don't know, kind of more just himself, not so much charactering. Uh, I, you know, it's 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 good, um, but the song itself is 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 also, um, you know, other than just being kind of confusing for its purpose, it it doesn't have any big moments, um, and you know, too bad. So kind of a in a way, it's kind of a waste of a pretty cool drum beat. So yeah i'll agree with you i think the big shining spot is that rolling drum beat uh that kind of intros it out um but it tends to go nowhere i mean it's really stupidly heavily handed i mean uh les had to just full out say it's called plagiarism and still title the uh the song year of the parrots like we got it you know like no need to really just draw that straight line for us um i think the song isn't particularly strong it seems like it could have uh, benefited from a little more time in the oven. I mean, I, I don't think it's terrible, but it's, uh, I mean, I'll take this song over a lot of stuff on anti-pop, but, uh, it's, uh, clearly, yeah, it's, I'll agree with Steven. The middle of this record tends to sag. Um, and, uh, it's unfortunate because it starts up so strong and, you know, it's, uh, not a bellwether for things to come. So that's Year of the Parrot. Uh, we're all kind of in agreement that it's, uh, you know, not good uh, to maybe it's okay. So let's go into Hellbound 17 and a half theme from... So that little sample was Hellbound 17 and a half parentheses theme from. But let's hear what Eric has to say about that one. Yeah, I mean, weirdly, like, I think in another cut of this album, you could slice out a lot of the interludes and some of the lesser tracks and just use this song as an interlude. And I think it'd be OK. I mean, 
it it it's got this chugging like Primus just like it's trying to sound like essentially and and I remember from the artwork, you know, a, basically a a horror movie where it's like a, a a big rig from hell barreling down the the freeway, and I think uh, it's got a driving beat. It's it's nice and heavy. It does sound sinister. Um, there are some ridiculous sound effects like you're on the freeway, but okay, they've 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 set up sound effects for good use uh primus is okay with like they they tend to use them in a good way um there's only one little block of lyrics uh where um you know somebody's questioning their existence uh and and you know possibly their destination to hell questions deserving answers answers deserving action what am i of the populi i am but a fraction is there heaven is there hell is that tuna melt i smell almost sounds like a a a line of dialogue from uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Uh, it's 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 ridiculous, but I mean, it is silly, but it also rocks, and it is a kind of a heavy moment. It's a heavy moment on a, in the middle of an album that kind of forgot to get heavy. Not amazing, but as far as interlude songs. I mean, I prefer this over over what they do for interludes on this album. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I mean, I think. Um... This is an improvement over Space Farm, but for me, it sounds like a, uh, you know, that scene in Roger Rabbit where they're driving t- into Toontown. This is where that seems to be a ride into Toontown would seem fit. Um, I think Herb is doing some great drumming. Um, uh, you know, he's doing his job because that's what he's been hired to do. Uh, he's keeping things interesting. Lair's got this little cartoon riff that does sound like someone walking on a high wire. Um, look out below. Um, again, I think when they were writing some of this stuff, they were actually thinking, wouldn't it be cool to take advantage of some of this new technology on the old personal computer? And, you know, I could see how they were thinking to themselves, you know, if we write some of these songs that are not really songs that are more kind of like atmosphere, like soundscapes, with a little bit of thematic, they could really drive home these cartoony sound effects and put a visual to them. I mean, with the intentions of we're never going to play these live. I mean, this is just something that we're going to do on this stupid project and then move on. I could see this being like a Frogger game on uh, on the enhanced CD. Yeah. But Hellbound 17 and a half is just one of those things that you're like, all right, you know, you can get through it, but it's not like if this comes on during shuffle, you know, you're going to fucking skip it. It's just one of those things that if you yeah, put your library on shuffle and Hellbound 17 and a half comes on. You're like, nah, no, nah, no, thank you. <laughs> All right. So that was Hellbound 17 and a half. Uh, we uh, definitely think that this is one uh, that could have been left off the record, but uh, it's certainly that. Tune time tunnel through Tune Town. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's go into the next one. Uh, glass sandwich.
that was glass sandwich. Uh, Eric, would you take a big bite out of this one, or are you gonna uh, give it the knuckle sandwich? <laughs> uh, you know what? It's, I'm not gonna take a big bite out of glass sandwich. Um, it's 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 okay. And part of it that I think is charming is the lyrics do do remind me of a Tom Waits song. Um, he sings it. Actually, don't hate Les Claypool's singing voice in this. He's 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 doing his kind of mysterious almost like uh i'm trying to i can't even compare it it's just less it's just it's, it's less doing more of a mystery than a goofball voice as he sings about um somebody going to take his place behind the glass to watch the ladies dance and it goes into this like uh just kind of repetitive it's the nature of things um very mysterious almost a waltz in the background and then he finds out that it's like his ex-girlfriend is the one dancing in the uh peep show yeah it's, it's like an o henry kind of uh ending lyrically yeah um, I believe I might be wrong on this, not to uh, cut you off, Eric, but you're going to want you're going to validate this by basically just the sound. Um, is this the only song on the record where Les is using his stand up bass? No, he uses the stand up bass uh, on Deanza Jig. Oh, really? OK, yeah, yeah. yeah but it's Steph. No, but OK, I'm sorry. He uses a stand up bass on both. But if you mean like the big bow. Uh, yeah, so, kind of like, like a Mr. Crinkle type. Yeah, yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, you're right. This is the this is the one song he busts out that old bofo for, and I do love that sound. Um, I do that love that sound. Uh, you know, so I mean, overall, I do find this kind of like a, a mid tier song. I like the mystery of it. I, you know, it's it's repetitive enough to kind of there is a melody. I like his singing. Um, it just uh, kind of lives in that world. Uh, where it's uh, on this album where the songs aren't necessarily bad. Um, it just doesn't get to that, that point where you're just cooking and shredding like, like, like previous Primus uh, uh, adventures. So um, this one's fine. With, I'm fine with the glass sandwich though. Yeah. I, it's one of the lesser tier uh, Primus songs for me. Um, it's odd. There's a style of, of a pace of songs that I can't stand is songs that make you feel woozy or that you're like, yeah, it is like a slow waltz or you're in a boat rocking back and forth, which with Primus, they do try to give the effect of uh, being on the sea often, but you know, it's odd. I like, I like sea shanties. I like being in them. I like pirate songs and uh, songs of the sea. Um, I like, I, I like those things. But when you put them together audibly, I can't stand it. I can't stand this the You know, I just I, I, that scale, I just can't I I don't like it. It just I, I even if they're doing a perfect transmission of the feeling they want to put into your ears, I don't want that feeling in my ears. Um and yeah, that's the the rocking back and forth pace of the song drives me nuts. Uh, I I skip it often. Um, I do like the story. I mean, that's kind of fun. It's kind of like a yeah, like a Tom Waitsian, Charles Bukowski kind of. Oh, this guy goes down and gets his rocks off. Forget the lady, but oh, the peep show wall comes up, and guess what? It's her. Yeah, you know, it's uh. There you go. Doesn't do a lot for me this track. Yeah, I think I agree with both of you. Um, I don't uh, dislike it as much as Steven does. Um, it's it's kind of like right along with Eric, mid-tier, somewhat forgettable. Uh, that foreboding, creeping um, baseline 
with that drummer's marching beat behind it um, is what I really go to. And, uh, you know, the way that you described that, that woozy, like someone got too much into the old uh, expired prune juice and kind of going around and, uh, you know, like a cartoon character sound when they get drunk. Uh, that's exactly what I feel that you're describing, that wooziness. Uh, at first blush, it almost sounds like a ticking clock, um, but I think I like your description better of the uh, boxer been uh, hit in the head too many times. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, not a great track, and I feel your uh, evidence of this song or this album getting a little uh, saggy towards the middle. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. So let's go into, uh, which is appropriate for this time of year, let's go into Del Davis's Tree Farm. Del Davis's Tree Farm, or yeah, that's right, um, really offers a uh, uh, a different side of Les, where he really kind of leans into a Southern accent, even though he wasn't born in the South. Uh, Eric, are you ready to uh, buy your Christmas tree at the tree farm? Yeah, and actually, fun fact: I almost did one year uh, when I was going to Sonoma State. Uh, which is out there in Rohnert Park, which is just on this stretch of the 101 in Northern California that will get you right to Sebastopol, where Rancho Relaxo is. Uh, I was, I think, me and a girlfriend at the time were looking for a little, just a small dorm tree. And uh, we, I drove by, this was 2001. Or at the, you know, I guess at this time it would have been 2000. No, 2001. And I drove by Del Davis Tree Farm. I saw the sign shining from the from the 101. And I was like, ah, the Primus place. Um, and then we just didn't stop there. Just kept going. <laughs> I don't know why. But I, <laughs> <laughs> but I not even uh, to stop and take a picture. Not nope, even no to time. stop and grab a mini candy cane. Didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't happen. But um, I thought that was fun. Um, you know, this this track is uh just kind of seems uh you're right it's the down home track it's it's less doing his uh his hillbilly voice it's um it stood up eight feet tall you know who he reminds me of on this song is uh now this is gonna be a deep cut so you're gonna have to hang with me here but there was a uh disney channel special from the 80s i already follow you but it was one of their Muppet specials, and it was uh, it was the Bremen Town Musicians, and it had a donkey with big chompers, 
that would sing. And then there was a cat who was voiced by Juno, the caseworker from Beetlejuice. And then there was this rooster that like looked like he just got pounded with a baseball bat and he just drunkenly cacaws throughout the episode. And it sounds exactly like Les does in the song. So uh, the Bremen Town musicians. Pretty good little Muppet special, though. Uh, okay, so um, you know it's he's singing about uh, this tree farm, and I guess the boys that used to work there. Um, you know, Del Davis gave them all a chance. So these uh, these rock and roll kids had a had a way way to get some money over the holidays. That's that's what the song's about. Um, and you know, maybe it belongs on someone's Christmas playlist. I don't know. Steve's kind of the expert in that department, so you'll, you'll have to let me know if I'm onto something there. Um, song itself, though, uh, this is not my favorite Les Claypool style of singing, and um, this music doesn't go very like doesn't 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 get in my under my craw as far as the melody goes, um, and doesn't get my toe tapping too much either. So I do put this on my lower lower rung. Unfortunately, this album did kind of hit a bit of a a valley in my in my opinion. Uh, towards the end here so yeah yeah no i i like this one better than eric it's it's the lower of the top tier for me on this album will um i like songs that bring up actual local landmarks which primus does in spades and uh i love that eric drove by there once and uh local landmarks in the bay area makes it even better uh, i am a big christmas fan as you both know and it's the most wonderful time of the year. And I would love to go get uh, Christmas trees with Les Claypool. That sounds like the best guy you can get trees with. Um, no matter how tall the tree is, I bet you he could knock it down. He's probably got all manner and assortments of different weird old saws that you could use. Um, the musically, I mean, the down, the down, down, but down, 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 but down, down, pretty rocking. I dig that. I dig the, the it's a pretty straightforward primus rocker. But then it breaks into that little jazzy doodle doodle doot, doodle doodle doot. Here it comes. That's you get you get some rock, and you get some atonal goofballness, in a song about Christmas trees. I I like it. Yeah, it's not terrible. Um, always, uh, even though they sound nothing alike, this song and the next song, maybe because they both start with D. Uh, sometimes I just um, interpolate the two, because. Um, in the next track, you'll definitely see that Les is still keeping that Southern accent, but this song definitely has that more bouncy feel to it. Um, and I think you uh, did a perfect melody, so I'm not going to even try to replicate that. But overall, this song doesn't really have a whole lot of dynamics. Uh, Lair just seems to be just offering something in the background to let you know he's on the song throughout. It's like marking himself present um, and then going back to playing video games. Uh, you know, I definitely feel that Maybe he went to go get some hot soup while uh, Les and uh, Herb just, you know, bang this one out. Um, it's not bad. Uh, it definitely has that kind of bouncy feel that you would maybe find on Sailing the Seas of Cheese. Um, so it's not, yeah, it's definitely mid-tier, maybe top of that lower tier that you were saying, Steve. So. I didn't mark this as one of the highlights because, like I said, I sometimes forget what this fucking song sounds like until I actually, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The whole second half of this album, save one song, I have to remember what it sounds like. I'll be honest. Uh, not, they're not on the, uh, the, the Primus Essentials list. 
All right, let's uh, still stay down towards the uh, uh, to the Bay Area, kind of going a little bit more towards Santa Clara. Let's listen to the Anza jig. So that was Deanne's jig. It's a uh, jaunty little number. Has a gentleman's hat on that one. Um, Eric, what do you think about that little jig? Did you get your clogs? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I actually remember because I, I I played the stand up bass in, in jazz band and and I learned this this little uh, it's just a. Uh, it's a, it's a fun little, little uh, the music is like uh, this very like um, you know oompa bass line that that where he's doing oompa stuff with the low notes but then doing this like fiddly thing with the high notes and then the the melody is completely for the most part kept by uh lair doing uh, banjo uh banjo work and specifically rhythm banjo that's just kind of strumming the chords in the exact rhythm to kind of keep our toes tapping um, you know, I, I kind of out of character for me. Um, I don't hate, uh, I don't hate when they go to like bog swamp water, kind of <laughs> noisy, I guess, bluegrass styles. Like it doesn't always like the air is getting slippery off pork soda. I think is a great, weird kind of creepy song. I like the whole pastiche and it's kind of similar to this one. Um, but this one's a little bit more upbeat, not not so not so much creepy. Les is singing about um, people he knew at high school at Danza High School, Flouncin Flouncin Freddie, um, you know, uh, and 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 you know, ladies they they knew and the the, the friends they had. Um, you know, it's I I, I want to say I. I, I my knee jerk is not to like it, but it gets stuck in my head. I mean, whole verses of this song get stuck in my head. Um, it's a cartoon song. And um, while I don't reach for it, if, if this came on in a, in a, in a, in a cartoon in a Disney movie, uh, when someone, <laughs> someone goes down to the bayou, um, I'd be grinning ear to ear. Uh, it, it, I don't know. There's something, there's something magical about the song. I just can't describe it. I'm not a good podcaster tonight, uh, but that's, that's where I'm at. Yeah. Eric, only a good, only not a good podcaster tonight. He said, um, whatever what, what last, uh, 167 episodes, what his excuse was, but no, as far as, as far as the Primus, uh, silly bop and dance songs goes, I think this is one of my favorites, I guess of the little, I mean, I think it beats pork chops, little ditty. Actually, I don't know. might be neck and neck. Uh, there, there's more substance to it. But uh, you know it's inoffensive. As soon as as soon as it starts, it's done, and it is kind of just a goofball. Like back to what I was saying earlier, they had you know Winona's Big Round Beaver is kind of a 1970s joke song, but with a lot of musicianship behind it to back it up. 
this is kind of just a, it's goofball, but it's got that catchy little bass part that Eric was talking about. And, uh, you know, he's name checking some real people here and especially the, uh, the dancing Filipino, Julie Tolentino, uh, I've gotten record that I'm a big fan of the Filipino, uh, culture and it's people. And uh, did you guys look this lady up? I mean, she's a real, she's a real deal. She did a lot of stuff. Yeah, I did. I did. She's, yeah, she's a friend of the band and, and, and stayed to friends, friends of the band, but she's, she was had a pretty successful career. Yeah. Her and Les have been friends. She's from the Bay area. Uh, definitely at the forefront of gay rights, AIDS activist. And also she was in Madonna's uh, sex book, voted with Madonna, started a club called the Click Club. A queer and pro-sex lesbian nightclub. I was in Brooklyn, I think. That was that was in I think in New York. And uh Yeah, but if you go if you just Google Julie Tolentino, there's a lot of a lot of stuff comes up. She's probably more she's probably more well known than Les Claypool. I don't know. In some circles, yeah. But yeah, the mm-hmm. songs it's it's all right. It's 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 good enough. It's not it's not as much of a drudgery as some of the other second half songs are in this record. This one always uh upon first hearing it, uh it definitely as this was my first Primus record that I ever heard, I uh, didn't know that this was the band that apparently veered across eight lanes of traffic. Um, so that was always a surprise. Um, but the overall music, it really does sound like a 1920s uh, Mickey Mouse era cartoon. Um, like they're all going into the barnyard with their banjos and the jug band. Uh, I, I watch a lot of old classic Mickey Mouse cartoons, so you know everything always reverts back to that. Um, that baseline, however, uh, to keep with my Disney um, riff, that belongs in Country Bears, uh, not the not the movie, but the uh, the attraction that used to exist at both parks, but now just one. I remember they actually played this song live uh, when I saw them out in the Greek Theater in Berkeley, California. The roadies uh, were wearing the penguin outfits uh, that they wore on the Letterman show, and they came out and square danced as uh, the band played. It was quite quite a thing. It was a thing of uh, beauty. Uh, this is also the second reference to Taco Bell on this uh, on this record. So either yeah. two things are happening. There's a Demolition Man uh, connection here. <laughs> Taco Bell when the, you know, fast food wars, we all know that. Yeah. Um, and then secondly, or they're just a corporate sponsor, you know? So, uh, Taco Bell. Uh, thirdly, thirdly, uh, Primus, they, or at least less, no less in lair. They, they definitely uh, practice what they preach as far as imbibing in, uh, various recreational drugs. And I am very sure they believe in what's known as fourth meal among the stoners. <laughs> only um, uh, stoners and hobbits apparently have that meal. Yeah. Yeah. And only stoners or hobbits are going to write right, as much right. about fast food as these two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the nineties was a huge, that's, that's a great line though. That paints a picture. That was I mean, a huge time for Taco Bell. We lived Bell. it, Mark. You, yeah. you know, yeah, you were, you were working at the Taco Bell and I was at the Burger King right next to it. In high school, we'd all, we'd all go to the Del Taco Whenever there was like a party got broken up by the cops or something, we'd all meet at the Del Taco, regroup and, and terrorize. Here's the deal. Del Taco is superior 
to Taco yeah. Bell. There's no question. No, it is. Like, let's let's get all of that no, just yeah, out in the open here. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. It just is. Steven, I know it, they have fries. They've got macho nachos. The weird specific taste of Taco Bell. And here's the thing about Taco Bell. Almost everything at Taco Bell tastes the same no matter what you order. But sometimes. Right. That's right. It's it's a f- three fl- one flavor and three shapes in, in different densities of crunch. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I mean, right, even even to the point where now they're like sticking. I'm not even yeah. exaggerating. Uh, I'm sure someone out there besides me is partook in Taco Bell in the last oh, five years. Uh, they've they've started shoving. Oh yeah, they've started course, shoving Doritos and Tostitos and whatever else inside the uh, burritos, which is that's speaking my language. I mean, that's, that's basically right. they're ripping me off, really. <laughs> I know Steve's head chef. He's the one that's in the <laughs> kitchen. They're like, hold on, guys. What's right. the cost on beef jerky? <laughs> that's right. Oh, he's Steve's about to announce another another uh, taco. Everybody, gather around. It's just uh, you know, it's just ketchup squirted inside a shell with a beef jerky. Think about it. No, think think about that. A beef jerky burrito. Not a bad idea. Just take that that big stick of chewy jerk. Wrap beans and a tortilla around it. I mean, that's delicious. It's teriyaki jerky. Yeah, <laughs> inside of a burrito. Um, but that was Deanne's jig, uh, and uh, apparently a commercial for Taco Bell and Del Taco. But uh, I think I don't know if this is supposed to be a spiritual sequel. Um, but let's go to the next track where we're on the tweak again. was on the tweak again uh eric uh have you uh stolen any catalytic converters lately are you uh, uh going into construction sites trying to strip copper anywhere <laughs> that's right that's right uh always i mean if you see a if you see a if you see copper you go for the copper every time you bet um yeah so on the tweak again I do feel like I do feel like it's a uh, it's a it's a sequel of sorts to uh, Dan Blue Collar Tweakers. Um, the music uh, is, in my opinion, I mean the song in general is not not anywhere near the realm of amazing. As not Dan even Blue the same sport. But I do like it's not the same ballpark, right. not the same sport, not even on the same continent. Right, right. More just some lyrical content. I mean, I think he's trying to go for that kind of more atmospheric. Um, uh, a song that <coughs> that blue collar tweakers was um but it's just it doesn't uh the right the, it doesn't rise to the heights um and lyrically yeah he's talking about like now specific tweakers like barrist barrist jeffries who was who's picked up for cooking amphetamine and uh now he's drinking country prune which is uh must be prison toilet wine i'm guessing yeah, prison wine. <laughs> yeah. 
Turkey J. All these people, Turkey J. When he J. specifically <laughs> mentions a name like that, I wonder if that guy is really that guy's name and he heard the song and he's like, oh, wait a minute. Come on, man. <laughs> Hold on a sec. That was one time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Maybe uh, that was Harold. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe all these guys work at Del Davis Tree Farm, too. Um, which reminds me, did you know that two years in a row, those those dropout carnies that work at the tree farm up, up here tied a tree on my car wrong and it fell off on the drive home. One year it fell off on the freeway and I'm pulling over and chasing after it in the middle of the freeway, carrying it back to my car, like legend, this huge thing. Next year it fell off in the middle of on Hazel Avenue. And I'm just, just, just you just imagine me just, yeah, just stumbling, picking it up. I'm all by myself. <laughs> Just, just angry, just looking at cars they pass me by. Hazel Avenue. <laughs> Seriously, are you Larry David? Yeah. I like why you live a sitcom, man. <laughs> well, I started tying them from then on, and then we just bought a fake one that we use every year. But yeah, I uh, it's the way to go. Uh, yeah, <laughs> too many times. But anyways, I should have brought that up in, in Del Davis. But I'm pretty sure Barris Jeffries works works at Del Davis Tree Farm too. Um. But yeah, he's he's just talking about these people who are that lives are negatively affected by uh, meth, and then it ends by him saying, "But you know, we used to sit around and sing kumbaya, almost implying that like these are guys he grew up with in like summer camp, um, and their just lives went down a different path." <clears throat> and so, I mean, I just this song suffering from what you know the lower songs in this album do, which are not badly poorly written songs necessarily, just. Uh, songs that get really in the weeds technically, but don't really have those grand movements uh, to 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 get to, to kind of swoop you up in it and all. That's kind of how I feel about this one. So yeah, this is another one where it's just you no. Know, I really feel like I I didn't look at how long this album is, but are they are they doing the whole like we got seventy four minutes, so we might as well use them all up thing on this album? Um, I think we would have gotten a few more uh, <laughs> Captain Shiners if if that was the yeah, case. I mean, but it's yeah, just another one where I'm just like ugh. For one, it's another song that makes me feel woozy. <laughs> um, I love most of Les Claypool's voices, and I do feel that this one is trying to represent like some kind of weird tweaker, but I do not like the style of vocals he uses on this track. Yeah, really high register. Never used again. I I can't think of any other song yeah, where he's singing I, this fucking high. I dig most of his weird vo- voices, but I, this one, no thank you. Country prone! <laughs> yeah. And you know, the, the end here. of it kind of rocks. Oh, like, the end of there. it does, like, it really is like, wow, 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 wow. Towards the end of it, they start making that thicker and laying it down. And, and, and you know, Herb's doing a little bit more, but it takes too long to get there. I'll give this song this. I'll give this album this. I do feel on this record, they really did experiment with uh, trying to give you different vibes, different senses of place. Uh, some of the songs, even though they're all recorded in Rancho Relaxo, do maybe feel like they were recorded in a bigger room or a smaller room. Uh, some songs sound, for lack of a better term, like they're very bright with many colors, and other songs sound like they're coming from a dark place where you can barely see. I appreciate that. this song has a different sense of place and space in most of the songs on this record. The only problem is I don't want to be in that space or that place. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this song along with glass sandwich and you're the parrot, they all seem to be written in the same afternoon. Uh, let's just, Oh shit. We got how many tracks we got to do on this, on this record. Oh, okay. 12, 13. All right. We got to just bang something out guys. I, here you go. And at the same time, they were probably drinking that country prune. It's just, they're all kind of blarbly and woozy. It's not, 
man. Um, I mean, I don't have much to add uh, from what you both have said. Uh, I think Lair just really does attempt to get a, this song just a little bit of a jolt to it with his outro guitar work. But this song I will always forget about. And the only thing that I think about when I think about this fucking song is on that enhanced CD. It was so fucking stupid. It was like uh, this sculpture of a cat chair singing the song. And that was it. And it was uh, <laughs> stupid. Ran out of ideas. They ran out of ideas. Literally. And that's where I think like, okay, they've completely phoned it in on the enhanced CD on this song. And uh, th- I guess that just means that we also phoned it on this song. I, I don't know. But the cat singing chair was uh, really fucking dumb. So uh, let's try to drive over the electric grapevine. was the electric over the electric grapevine um if uh, any california resident means if you're going from northern california to southern california you've got to go across this thing called the grapevine and that's exactly what this song is generally about eric have you ever driven over the grapevine oh yeah many times many times uh yeah it's a it's a big uh, down there south of Bakersfield, it, uh, it's coming down from the north. It's a big, uh, big incline as you as you get up and over and, and come down through the high desert. Up and over. Up and over. Hello. Come on down through the high desert. You see, once you see Ma- Magic Mountain, you know you're getting close <laughs> to OLA. All right. So this this song tells the fabled tale of a time where uh, Bob Cock and Les Claypool. Uh, dropped a little acid, got in the car, and uh, they were going to drive on uh, down there to go see a show, Um, driving down from San Francisco to to LA. And, um, you know, things started crackling once they hit that grapevine. And the music rolls along. I mean, it feels like the bass is doing this it just kind of feels like you're you're seeing kind of hills and and stuff roll by you at night. The, The lyrics then go into some crazy territory where, like, apparently the story in real life was Les Claypool bought like a pack of like there was a gum. It was like gushers, but gum gushers where they had gel inside. And he was squeezing those out all over the seats inside the car, squeezing the gel out and making the car all sticky while they were driving. And then some weird thing where they like got in and they got me good time and got in early and 
Bob Bob Cock was going to go make a phone call, and Les just kind of takes a nap, and he wakes up. Uh, he hears Bob's voice in the car, but wakes up and sees him on, in the phone booth, and it just tripped him out. And that that, that kind of particular event makes makes an appearance in the lyrics as well. Um, and just kind of capturing that uh that kind of you know youth vibe of of going on an adventure. Um, I mean, really, and then something cra- kind of crazy happens, and that's that's kind of what it's about. Uh, I think this one has a a great feel to it. This does get it finally kind of bookends, even though it's not technically the last track. It does kind of bookend with a good rocker. It opens with a good rocker and closes with a good rocker. Um, love the melody. It just feels like you know, feels like adventure. What what you know? What doors are you going to open? down this 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 adventure so um, i know steve you've probably got a lot to say on this one. Oh yeah this is one of my favorite songs by them hands down talk about ending strong i mean this song pulls the uh the the last batch of songs that are just a slog up it's like all right you assholes i'll i'll do what you couldn't do uh i i i it's like i said earlier i kind of put it in the same bucket as southbound pachyderm for some reason the length the uh progressiveness of it um i mean musically it's just awesome it builds very well it's a showcase for lair i think lair's guitar playing on it is awesome lair is doing some of his work where he's just letting some notes ring out and uh he's doing some of his good noodly stuff but it's just like when i picture this song it's another song where i picture like lair just standing on the the edge of a canyon somewhere i don't know doing his weird lair thing and letting the music bounce off the, the canyon walls. I, I can't really explain it. Um, Primus is a band that they do, like, they, they give me, their weird sounds give me a lot of visualizations of the notes. And a lot of Lair's noodling does that. Uh, I just, the song has some of his best work. Um, and he gets to rock and show he can, what he can do. And uh, I, it kind of has this um, Spanish vibe to his guitar work on it kind of like a house of the rising sun kind of thing going on. And it's just, it's a great sound for the idea of going over the grapevine and down to Southern California. And yeah, lyrically, it's just, it paints a great story of those nights when you and a couple of friends get in the car to go to a show or something. And it's just one of those nights you can't forget. We've all had some of those together. They're, they're awesome. And they paint that, they yeah. paint that picture very oh, well yeah. on this track. Uh, just enough details. I mean, God, there's not too many lyrics here. Um, and but let's just give you enough details to kind of give you the whole vibe of the night and tell the story. Um, yeah. And I mean, also they name check uh, "Faith No More" song, which is I love that the the then introduce yourself came on, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that'd be the Chuck Mosley years of Faith. So this is a song that probably they're probably listening to an alternative radio station in uh, nineteen eighty seven or something. And, and, uh, that, that, right. the ending, that little anecdote about Adam getting out and calling, <laughs> calling into the radio show, well, Les is on acid in the car. That's amazing. That's an amazing story. I, I hope it's true. I think it is. And just the idea, yeah, just the idea of some friends sitting there after this long night of being on drugs and all of a sudden one call calls into the radio and the whole, he started laughing that I love that he started laughing. He started laughing. And one of my ultimate favorite Primus moments is the ha 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 hey hey hey, hey. It's so good yeah yeah 
that's uh i actually get goosebumps talking about this track i like it so much. It's a, uh, i love this song it has a big place in my heart yeah no this is a great song i mean this is definitely in the uh, top tier of all-time premise songs for me um i don't know how often they truck this one out live uh but i can say this and hopefully eric will probably repeat the same thing when we both saw them on this tour uh they would play this song and it was always a hell of a time and uh the graphics that they did was uh pretty much the same liner note graphics that they have and also on the enhanced cd of two guys in a car with these headlights uh in in the distance um i'll always remember that being animated while they were doing this song yep song yep. has like that spanish flamenco type riff on that bass and that intro which is phenomenal um i love that shit Per uh, setlist, per setlist FM, it looks like they still roll it out, like at least at least once a tour, maybe ten or fifteen times. Because you know, um, when Primus really works, uh, in terms of their best songs out there, is when everyone has a moment to shine, and this is one of those great examples of. There's just excellent drumming. Less is always, you know, in the forefront because, you know, this is very bass driven, rhythm based band. And then when Lair just takes things to another level on those songs, that's when you really capture the magic of Primus, uh, Southbound Pachyderm, Over the Electric Grapevine, uh, pretty much every great Primus song that's out there. Uh, is just always an example of the three of them incredibly in uh, great chemistry and in lockstep with one another. You can tell there's magic moments and other moments are just like, uh, just uh, this song's good enough. Uh, but I feel like this one, they actually uh, handcrafted into something that's just kind of an all time classic for, for this band. Um, but yeah, uh, I love this song uh, quite a bit. And thankfully it does, kind of forgive some of the previous mistakes that really from Southbound Pachyderm on, uh, between here and Southbound Pachyderm, uh, there's not a lot to really highlight. You know, there's some okay tracks, but things that we're just kind of stretching for. But uh, yeah, it's a great way to bookend the record from a very strong opener to a very strong, what I really consider more of a closer than uh, what we're going to talk about briefly next. I'd like to mention that... Um... The last time they played it, they played it once in 2020, and it was on December 11th, which would have been almost a year ago today, the day before my birthday, at the uh, only show they played in 2020, only time a show's ever been played at this venue in Sebastopol, a place called Pachyderm Station. So I, I, imagine, I imagine they set that place up in someone's backyard, and it was for fans only or something. Well, I, I do know that... Um... It could be affiliated or on the same property as his winery that's up there. Sounds probably. And it is Pachyderm uh, Cellars that's up there. So, and uh, I probably there's a little spot for them to uh, perform. And I think recently, just right after Les and uh, Primus got done with their rush tour, uh, Sausage actually played at that Pachyderm station as well. Um, so Todd Huth and, uh, Jay Lane came up to, to play a few songs. Yeah, that, wow. That show that ended strong. I tell you a strange choice here though. That's, uh, cause they're getting towards the end of the show and they play Herald of the, on the Herald of the Rocks. That's a great one. Then they went to overly electric grapevine and they go into Jerry was a race car driver. 
and they're getting towards the end of the show, and then they decide to play the seven off that damn gnome out. Strange choice. Then they then they ended with South. Mountain. Oh, really? They, they pulled it out of a tailspin. Oh, okay. That's good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there is a All moment right. on this on this track at like three forty. Mm-hmm. Where the the band kind of gets locked in together, where it's just like down, 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 and it just like silences for a beat, down, 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 and it just does this like this this the uh, the fourth beat is silenced uh, for a couple measures, and it's just perfectly like lockstep. It's a really cool moment. Uh, sorry, I, I, just I think I know what you're describing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really like that part. Uh, but yeah, this is a this is a good track. I agree. This is this. Uh, you're hearing redemption. Uh, live as you hear the song it's 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 great um so let's go to the actual last track on the record which is titled captain shiner eric have you saluted captain shiner well, I'm glad we're talking about this because I hope we you guys are buckling in for a long night because I got a 13-point presentation on how this is based on Beowulf. Um, so, gather round. <laughs> this is... Uh, <clears throat> well, this is... Uh, if you if you like De Anza Jig so much, you like it's so nice they played it twice. Uh, it's just the baseline of De Anza Jig as you hear, like... Um, port sounds like uh like tugboat horns and barge bellows and and seagulls um and it's just it's just a reprise of the uh the d'angelo baseline to, to, to wrap things up yeah i mean it popped the cd out as soon as the last track ends but they did this kind of thing on their previous record not unheard of just for some reason on Tales from the Punch Bowl doesn't have the same continuity as the pork sodas or the Jerry was a race card or the sees the cheese of the world. It's just kind of all the, the filler feels like filler on this, on this record. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe they could have, if they really wanted to do this one, maybe just make it the album intro, you know, um, don't, I don't know. Uh, because you're right, it's the same bass line with bass sounds, seagulls, crashing waves. Uh, it sounds like a bunch of happy sailors. Um, and the Captain Shiner is that little toy boat uh, that you see, I think, on uh, the vinyl version or maybe in the background, but is also that little smiley face that's on the album cover. Um, so you could even treat this as like that little toy boat just bobbing along in the bathtub. Sailing into that little punch bowl, apparently. But that's how the record ends. So let's hear our rankings out of how many pachyderms, five pachyderms, would you give Tales from the Punch Bowl, Eric? Uh, it's Primus. I can't give anything from this era anything less than a, than a two and a half. So that's what I'm giving it. Um and I think the strong tracks, um, Professor Nutbutter, Mrs. Blaylene, uh, Southbound Pachyderm, Electric Grapevine. Those just, ju- uh, you can't, uh, can't lose any more than that because of those strong tracks in there. Um, but for me, um, Primus and this one, yes, they, they are using a lot more production tricks, but in some ways it 
almost makes them sound more constrained because they want you to hear every single note that they don't get into that kind of wall of sound rock that happens on some of their earlier albums, um, which is something that I really like about Primus is, is they can get groovy, but they, they also know when to, when to give the people uh, a barn burner too. So um, this one is definitely more in the groovy end, super intricate grooves, which I, which is, which, you know, can be interesting. Um, but uh, it's only on a few of these songs where I feel like the atmosphere and the groove also la- laid way to just, you know, good rock and roll. So um, not my favorite, but I have a lot, a lot of nostalgia for this album. And, um, and it did make me feel warm and fuzzy. Listen to it for this project. Yeah. Steven. Two, 2.5 packies. Two and a half. Two and a half. One nose, a little bit of a trunk. Okay. Give it a 2.99. Uh, it's, uh, it's about an average record. Uh, those songs I really like, I like a lot. It's just got so much filler on it. I the filler just it's too much. Um, I think it would be a much better EP. And you know, but they they wanted us to listen to all of this. More power to them. The the album before it, like I think, like went platinum a few times or at least once. I don't know. <laughs> so. They could kind of do whatever they want this time, so they made this really wonky record at their studio they just built. Uh, and it definitely has high marks for effort, but sometimes the places they really wanted to go, especially on the the prune juice sessions, uh, just hard to stick with. But it has some of their best songs of all time on it, too, yeah. at the same time. So, so we've said the, the phrase for it, the, the high highs, Almost outweigh the low lows, but just not quite on on this record. So it's not it's not a bad album. But yeah, it's, it's not even in my top. I, I can't remember what I ranked them recently, but I don't think it's even in my top five. It's either it's either the fifth or the sixth of the the Primus record by my assumption. So right, yeah, and I agree with both of your uh, uh, perspectives and opinions on that. I I gave it a three point nine. I was a little more generous. Because, like I had said, the reason I had chosen this record was because, yes, nostalgia is a hell of a drug. But I feel like, for me, this is the uh, departure point, uh, if you want to do a callback from an earlier episode from our award-winning show. Uh, For me, in terms of how I began to really start following, like, a single artist, like, sure, I love The Doors, but it wasn't like, Jim Morrison wasn't my guy. Uh, as Mark Marin would ask me, my guys are like Les Claypool, David Bowie, Trent Reznor. Those are my guys. And I wouldn't have gotten so far into Les Claypool had I not, uh, been introduced to this record. Uh, Mike Patton is also one of my guys. Um, but yeah, so 3.9, uh, fully realizing this is incredibly flawed. But those high peaks on uh, on the record are just uh, some of the all timers. So three point nine it is. So it's time to also get on our tugboats and uh, come out of Primusville. So Eric, it is time unsheathe the diamond dice. Like it's uh, coming from a scabbard. <laughs> yeah. I do. I have a leather. I have a leather uh, sack. 
a leather qui- I have a quiver for it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. exactly. So that's a, that, is, that is a 17. Seventeen. All right. So, with the remuneration of our list, we have come across one of Stephen's nominee uh, picks. It is a record released May seventeenth, twenty nineteen. So we're almost in the current time. It is Romstein's untitled right. record. Well, that's exciting. Perfect. Perfect weather. Perfect December album. Listening to Germans sing about what I assume to be cold things in December. Excellent. 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 Nothing could get more uh, seasonal than that. Um, I think it's our first uh, foreign language record. It is. Ah. So this will be fun to talk about uh, translations, and uh, hopefully we won't be uh, arrested on air when we make those translations, but... Yeah, it is Rammstein, be, after at least, all. At the very least, we'll probably be banned from entering some countries after that episode. Yeah, you can't say that's that. That's very exciting. That's a, that's a <laughs> good album, and Rammstein's going to lead itself to a lot of very good discussion, and I'm sure we will talk about the albums that precede it in some fashion as well. I could, I could do a whole episode on uh, Till Lindemann himself. Maybe I will. We'll find out. We'll see. Maybe get a maybe someday we'll get a Till and and Les Claypool collaboration. Who fun. knows? I mean, there's uh, I don't know how we could potentially uh, connect these two, uh, but we'll find a way. Maybe tune in next time. Yeah, see if we pull it off. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's <laughs> like the uh, greatest trick the devil devil ever did was, uh, well, you fell in the rest. Yeah. Right. Um, but as always, we hope that we brought you. Closer to Pod. Sending a German to El Sabron. The show writes itself. <laughs> <laughs>